Hey, I, um, I brought some friends up here with me today, some old friends. When I was a youth director, a young man named Josh uh, created these characters for one of our retreats 15 years ago. Uh, and the retreat was called The Living Dead. Again, that was 15 years ago. And in just two weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to introduce this theme to a new audience. And what's going to happen is it's going to feel as fresh as it did 15 years ago. Because this theme that we're talking about, this cuts across generations. This cross, cuts across genders. This cuts across cultures. This cuts across all of that. When they arrive at camp, they're going to be walking into this actual graveyard. And we're not going to get overly scary. There's not going to be jump scares. There's not going to be anything gory or anything occultic or anything like that. But what we are going to do is immerse them in this theme. We're going to immerse them and we're going to surround it with visuals and all these things. This theme that is so important because there's not a person alive. There's not a person alive who's not going to be confronted at some point with death. That's one of life's few certainties. There'll be a less campy version of this that we do with, with the men. And I'll just speak as a 50-year-old guy. The further I get along in life, the more vivid this becomes. Today, we're going to be talking about two very different paths. And as we bring things to a close today, I'm going to give you a sneak preview of how we're going to use these um, friends here to drive the point home. But let's back up first. Let's back up first. Today is the last week of a series called Never Enough. And we intentionally timed this series to fall during fall, when the pace of life tends to really pick up for a lot of us. And it seems like there's never enough money or time or any of those things to do everything that our crazy culture says we should be doing. Many of us, we are living at an unsustainable pace, unsustainable. We're not getting enough sleep. We're not getting enough exercise. There's not time to eat right or to get all your work or homework done. We're going faster and faster and faster, but the to-do list gets longer and longer and longer. And we're not just packing more stuff into our schedules. Last week, we talked about stuff. And some of the things that we looked at, we saw that the average house being built today is about three times larger than it was 50 years ago. And in those average homes, there's an average of 300,000 things. And yet, we have to feel like we feel like we've got to have more and more and more because that's evidently not enough either. Well, all this begs some important questions, including the question, where's the finish line? Where is it? Where's the finish line? And if we're running this fast and we're accumulating this much stuff, if we're getting closer to the finish line, then it should feel like it, right? If we're going this fast, we're, we're packing so much into our schedule. We're just run, 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 run without much rest. And we're accumulating as much as we possibly can. In fact, many of us going into debt to get more and more and more. Then, then shouldn't it feel like we're getting closer? That if we're going that fast, then we should be getting close really quick to deep satisfaction and deep joy and contentment, right? Because isn't it when you go faster, don't you get to your destination quicker? But that's not what people are experiencing. It seems like the faster we're going, the more we're accumulating, we're, we're experiencing the opposite. You talk to people, they're tired. You talk to people, they're stressed. Anxiety, depression, loneliness are at the highest levels they've ever been in the world at any time where they've tried to assess these things. And this one's interesting to me. 
I've heard the word annoying more times in the last two years than I heard my first 50 or 48 years. Anyone else experienced that? I'm hearing that word out there used more and more and more, the word annoying. If there is a life to be lived that is full of richness, full of meaning, full of joy, full of satisfaction, it is as elusive as that money pit on Oak Island, if some of you have been following that show in Nova Scotia, right? And this general sense, this general sense that there should be more to our limited lifespans, that's not just a 21st century thing. This is fascinating. It's not just us who are experiencing this. It's one of the reasons why this theme is going to be as fresh in two weeks as it was 15 years ago. Because this is not just a Western thing. It is not just a 21st century thing. This is a thing. I came across this quote from the great Russian novelist, Leo Tolstoy. He wrote these words more than a century ago, and he did it on the other side of the world. He says, my question that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide was the simplest of questions. Lying in the soul of every man, it was, what will come of what I'm doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting does not destroy? And these questions, they go back further than that. That was a hundred years ago. They go back further. They go back thousands of years to the book of the Bible that we've been looking at for the last five weeks. And probably beyond that, the book of Ecclesiastes. For the last five weeks, we've been looking at a book called the book of Ecclesiastes. It's one of several ancient documents that we refer to as wisdom literature. One of the reasons I love wisdom literature, wisdom literature says, we're going to try to take insights and perspectives and align them with reality. That's what wisdom does. It says, what is real and how do you align with reality instead of aligning with wishful thinking? Ecclesiastes, as we've talked about throughout this series, has a unique construction the author opens up the book of Ecclesiastes and then turns it over to a teacher. And then the teacher teaches for almost the entire book and then the author comes back at the very end. For the last five weeks, we focused on what the teacher had to say. The teacher didn't just have some power and privilege. The teacher had the power and perks of a king. This teacher could do pretty much whatever he wanted to do, so he went after it. He said, I'm going to try to figure life out. If we have this limited time under the sun, how do I make the most of it? So he ran down all these paths that so many people run down. And because he had these, this almost unlimited power and resources, he could get pretty far, farther than we could. He, he asked questions like, can lasting peace and joy and significance be found in work and accomplishment? And so he took on huge building projects, houses for himself, parks, forests, it says. He also took on this question, can lasting peace, joy and significance be found in pleasure? He had his own personal harem along with musicians, slaves that could do his every wish. Can lasting peace, joy and significance be found in wealth and stuff? Well, he gathered, he says, the treasure of kings and provinces. Can lasting peace, joy, and significance be found in the accumulation of wisdom and learning? Well, he became the standard by which we often refer to when it comes to human wisdom. 
You go down the list, all these things that people chase after, he went down each one of those paths and he went about as far as a person can go. And here was his conclusion after going down all those paths. There's a place to write this in your notes. Attempting to find lasting peace, joy, or significance in things that time and chance can undo. It's like chasing the wind. And sorry about the typo in your notes there. That's on me. Attempting to find lasting peace, joy, and significance in things that time and chance can undo. He says, it's like chasing the wind. You go down that path, you think, okay, it's right here. Nope. Right here. Nope. And you just keep chasing and chasing and chasing until you get to the end of that path and your time is out. The teacher had almost unlimited resources, and yet all of his pursuits came up empty. Why? Because he realized if time and chance can undo what I've done, what's the point? If in the end we all share the same fate, rich and poor, men and women, wise and fools, righteous and wicked, what's the point? The teacher says this, Ecclesiastes 7.2. He says, it's better to go into the house of mourning than to go into the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Here's what he's saying. He's saying it's better to go to a funeral than a party, he says. Because we all need this wake-up call. Death is coming, and we should align our lives now with that reality. Build a life, he's encouraging us to do, around one of life's only certainties. Now, that's not the way most of us live. Most of us aren't living in light of that. came across this quote when I was prepping. We spend and waste time as though we had a million years. Isn't that true? Think how much time we spend. Wait, how much of our time is just wasted? I'm not talking, we all need recovery time. We all need rest. I'm not, think how much our time is really not that. It's just wasted. You don't have a million years in this life. We don't have a million years. Or anything close. We got one shot at one lifetime. And that lifetime is just boom. The teacher found that vexing. There's this word vexing that shows up several times in Ecclesiastes. And I had to look that one up since I can't even spell undo, you know. And uh, I looked it up and the synonym for vexing is annoying. Isn't that interesting? What he found vexing. I wonder if that's what why life is getting annoying to us. It was vexing because he said these pursuits are hevel. Hevel is this word he uses over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a Hebrew word. It's often translated as vanity in English or, or meaningless, but really a better interpretation is it's like a vapor. It's like a breath. It's that little thing that if you go to pine tree, apple orchard and get a nice hot cup of hot cider, it's that little vapor that goes up and it's just there for a moment and then you, you can't grab it because it's gone. He says, that's what this is like. It's like that. It's fleeting. It's impossible to hang on to. Before you know it, it vanishes into the air. Nothing gained here under the sun. This was vexing to him. Nothing gained under the sun was ours to keep. Well, embedded over the last five weeks in this raw, honest assessment, we found a couple gems. One of the gems is to walk in wisdom. Even though wisdom won't guarantee that you get where you want to go, it sure beats foolishness, he says. Because foolishness 
not only may you may not get there, it's almost guaranteed your life's going to be a disaster, right? So he says, walk in wisdom. That's a nice little piece of advice. The other thing that he says even more, though, is this whole idea of seizing the moment. He says, precisely because you don't know what tomorrow will bring, precisely because time and chance can undo all you're working for, enjoy the moment in front of you. Yes, plan ahead, but just know that your plans may not work. Plan ahead, but enjoy the moment ahead of you. So that's where we've been. What we're going to do now today is we're going to look at how does this whole thing close? How does the teacher close the teaching? How does the author sum up all of this? That's what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bible with you, let's open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. That's what we're going to look at today. And I want to let you know as we're turning there, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to go home with one absolutely free today. Each and every week we keep a stack of them at the back and we'd love for you to go home with a Bible today. All right, here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. 12, let's start with verse 1. Remember your creator, the teacher. This is the teacher's voice right now. The teacher says, remember your creator when? In the days of your youth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. I want to hit pause on this before we look at verses 2 through 8 altogether. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, the teacher writes. I want to begin by saying, here's what the teacher is not saying. The teacher is not saying, remember the creator in the days of youth means you better get everything perfect. And if you don't get everything perfect, you should be really stressed because he's going to get you. Why do I say that? Because he says that in a little bit different words. Ecclesiastes 7 verses 16 through 20 says this. Don't be overly righteous. Don't make yourself too wise. Why destroy yourself? You ever seen what happens when people get perfectionistic? Doesn't it destroy you? You know? It says, surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. The teacher says, remember your creator. Remember the one who created you and everything that you see and hear and feel and touch and smell and taste. Remember the one who created sunsets and food and other people to share it with, remember he is good. Don't get so focused on all the rules that you just miss the goodness. Don't spend time, don't spend every moment toiling under the sun. Is there time to laugh? Is there time to dance? Yes. There's a time to embrace. There's a time to harvest and enjoy what was planted. Remember that God is the one who gave these good gifts to you, especially while you're young. Now, that's just kind of a little commentary that I added based on some other things that he said. His main point is, is, is not that, that he's making here. And here's something that I hope every person under the age of 20 takes to heart. If you are 20 or under, could you just raise your hand for just a second? Okay, a lot of you here today. Great to have you here. This quote is for you. Take a look at this. The younger you are, the more what? Amplified your what? Decisions are. The younger you are, the more amplified your decisions are. Meaning, the choices you make now will be amplified more over time because you generally have more time. You may have heard what happens if you take a couple thousand dollars, you put it into an interest-bearing account at your age now, that those thousands become what? They become million, right? The same is true of the investments you make in your faith. The same is true is in the investments you make in learning wisdom. The more you do now, the more it amplifies over time, all right? Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Align with reality now. 
Parents, can I get a show of hands for parents of all ages, kids of all ages, all right? We're with you in this. We're with you in this. Of the 16 people on our staff, 10 are directly related to youth and kids. Is there a better investment we can make as a church? No. Is investing in young people the best investment we can possibly make? Can I get an, yes? Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. All right. It is. It is. Well, most of the sources I looked at this week with these verses that come next now, verses 2 through 8, I am not a student of poetry, and this is really poetic. So I needed a lot of help when it came to trying to understand what's going on here. And like everything in the Bible, there's differences of opinion, but most of the sources I looked at said, here's what's going on here. This poetry, this poetry is describing what happens as you get not youthy, <laughs> as, as you get old. Here's what starts to happen. One of the big reasons to remember the creator in the days of your youth is because the days are coming. You're not going to be able to enjoy it like you used to, you know? And, and, and so this poetry, this rich poetry follows. And maybe you'll see some of these things that these other commentators said. Things like this, that strength begins to fade away like light does when the clouds roll in. And when you get older, our teeth are compared to stones that once could grind grain. <laughs> We're not grinding like we used to be able to grind, right? Eyes and ears begin to close like doors that once gave you access to the world. White hair begins to appear like blossoms on an almond tree. And we begin to look. It's in here. Take a look. This next one. We begin to look like a grasshopper that doesn't hop anymore. It just kind of you know, drags itself along. See if you see any of this. All right, here, I'm just, just trying to stick to the word. Here's why we remember the creator in our days of our youth. Do that before the sun and light and moon and stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble, strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they're few and the, lo, those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of the grinding fades. When people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along. And desire is no longer stirred. How sad is that? Desires are no longer stirred. Then people will go to their eternal home. And the mourners go about to the streets. Remember him. Before the silver cord is severed, the golden bowl is shattered. Before the picture is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit to God who gave it. Well, as this teacher gets to near the end of his presentation on Hevel, he says, remember the creator in the days of your youth because the days are coming when you're going to that dust from which you came. And your spirit is going to return to the God who first gave it to you. But before stepping away from the podium, teacher closes with the same words he opened with. Meaningless, meaningless. Hevel, hevel, says the teacher. Everything is hevel. That's how the teacher's monologue ends. The way it began. Hevel, hevel. Everything is hevel. At least if everything are these pursuits that I've tried. 
I went down this path, hevel, 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 hevel. So now it's the author's turn. The author's been quiet. Twelve chapters of quiet. Author's been quiet. Now some scholars, just FYI, some scholars believe verses 9 through 14 are not just one author, but two authors that felt like the first author needed correction or something like that. We could argue about that, and people do. But let's stick to what we know. What we know is this is how it ends. This is how it ends. The way we're going to look at right now. We're going to look at how this remarkable spirit-inspired book closes. So here we come into the close to the final verses. Let's start with verses 9 through 12. Not only was the teacher wise, now remember, this is the author now, and the author is affirming what just came. Not only was that teacher wise, he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set on order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and he wrote, what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. Their collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. So the author, when the author comes back, the first thing the author does is validates the content of the teacher. He affirms the teacher's words. They're not just true. They function like goads. A goad is if you've got, if you've got an ox and that ox is pulling a plow. Goads are these long sticks that you use to keep that ox going the right direction. He says the words are like that. He says the words are like firmly fixed nails. And they're not just like firmly fixed because this guy's pretty smart. You see that capital S on the shepherd? It's coming from God himself. This wisdom is coming from God himself. So he says, understandably so, don't distort what the teacher is teaching us in this book. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away. And then he says this, and we may get an amen from some of our students. How many of you are students right now? You may amen this one. It is okay to do that. It's the Bible. It says, of making of many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Can I get an amen to that? No? All right. Well, I liken what he's saying there to this. I think he's saying we could talk about this forever. We could go on and on and on. We could just keep rehashing all that the teacher said, but we don't need to add to this. It's good. Here's the point. So now we're getting really close to the ending, really close to the ending. And the author says this. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. After everything's been said, here's the conclusion. Fear God. Keep his commandments. This is the duty of all humankind. Now that all has been said that needs to be said, he said, here's your one sentence summary. Fear God, keep his commandments. And there's a place to write this in your notes. When we fear God, keep his commandments, we build on what? Solid ground. When we fear God, when we keep his commandments, we build on Solid ground. It all comes down to this. Live with a holy reverence for God and keep his commandments. Because when you do that, you're aligning with reality. Everything else is your thoughts about reality. And the teacher says, if you think going down this path is going to get you where you want to go, nope. This one, nope. This one, nope. Been there, done that, tried it. You want to align with reality, have a reverence for God. Trust him. Keep his commandments. When you do that, you're building on solid ground. Now, let's be very, very honest. There's a reason why people chase after Hevel, and that's because it seems right. It seems good. 
more nice things seems better than fewer nice things, right? More status and power and prestige sounds better than less, right? You know, we go down these paths. There's a reason why people are going down those paths because it sure seems like that's where we're going to find life. But from our own experience, from the experience of others, we see it's not that simple. If we're building on something other than God, it comes crashing down. So why do we trust God? Why should we trust that he's got it right? Let me give you this. Why would we trust that God can be trusted? Because God displays his handiwork through creation. This may not make sense, but stick with me on this. God displays his handiwork through creation. Let's say you wanted to put your trust in a builder. You are going all in on this. You are staking thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that this builder who is promising they're going to build you a great house are going to build a great house, right? If you're going to put that kind of trust in the builder, what do you look for to determine whether or not that builder is trustworthy? What would you do? I would look at his or her buildings, right? If you want to trust a builder that they can deliver on their promise, look at their buildings, do you want to trust whether or not God is trustworthy? Our creator, it uses the word creator here. Do you, want to, do you want to trust whether or not your creator is trustworthy? Look at his creation. Put the device down. Go outside. And pick just one corner of it. Pick one tree. Pick one piece of ground. Pick one viewpoint where you don't even fix your eyes to the right or the left. God is trustworthy. He's got this. I mean, I think how hard it is to try to keep fish alive in a tank. You have to do all these things just to make... He's got oceans teeming with life. Think how hard it is to keep a garden. Forests have been going for a long time. You know? In fact, isn't that how Ecclesiastes opens? Isn't it interesting? Go all the way back to what we learned about the creator and we learned about how that's juxtaposed with, with our own lives, right? The sun rises and sets, it says in Ecclesiastes 1. The wind blows to the south until the south becomes the north. Streams run to the sea. The sea never fills. Long after we're forgotten, the mountains will remain. Doesn't, isn't that how Ecclesiastes opens? With a reminder of the greatness and the grandness of God? Ecclesiastes isn't the only place that taps into this. It's all over the scriptures, including the author of Hebrews who writes this. Every house is built by someone. God is the builder of what? Everything. If you're ever struggling with trusting God, and that's my life almost every day because there's all these things that I'm like, oh, I want to make the right decision or doing the... Get outside. As you do, as you rediscover the God of the changing seasons, you'll find yourself coming to the place where Job did when he said, I know you, O God, can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. I had heard you with the hearing of my ear. Now my eye sees you. You know, as a, as a person who's trying the best I can to help 
lead our church well, one of the things I'm trying to get back to more and more and more and more and more again is saying, God, what are you trying to say? It makes sense that I would get stressed out if I tried to say, what does Chris think? What do the elders think? What does the staff think? If that's the only thing we're doing, then we should be stressed out because we're not that smart, right? We want to align with what God is doing because his plans, they will prevail. Can I get an amen to that? That gives us a firm foundation on which to build a life, to align with that which endures. And that brings us to the final verse of Ecclesiastes. So we are to the end end. The teacher has dropped the mic, and now the author is about to do the same. This is the final verse, final week of Ecclesiastes. Here it is. Leading into this, here's some thinking that we should put in our minds, though. If there is no God, then there's ultimately no judge. This is what we've learned so far in Ecclesiastes. If there is no God, there's no ultimate judge. If there is no ultimate judge, there's no ultimate judgment. And if there's no ultimate judgment, then there is no ultimate meaning to life. If death is the end... Everything is subject. There is no meaning. But the creation testifies to a creator. The heavens declare the glory of God. And in light of this truth, the author of Ecclesiastes ends our journey into life's meaning with these words. And these are the words that unlock the meaning of everything else. All the words that come before. Here it is. Last verse of Ecclesiastes 12, 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Oh boy. Oh boy. Hevel may be meaningless, but how much of life matters? All of it. Every word spoken, every deed done, every action taken, all of our work. What is, I mean, What's going to be put into judgment? Every deed. Our work matters. Whether or not we seize the seasons matters. What we do with our bodies matters. How we steward the resources God has entrusted to our care matters. The closing message of Ecclesiastes isn't nothing matters. The closing message of Ecclesiastes is everything matters. If we chase the wind instead of building a life on a firm foundation of our creator's will and ways, we're held accountable for that. And when that day of judgment comes, who among us is able to say, nailed it. That whole thing about none of us get it all right. <laughs> I'm the exception. I got it all right. Where are the keys to my room? There was only one who walked that path. Only one who walked that path perfectly. Into this broken world came one who was like us. He experienced all of life's futility and frustrations. But unlike us, he perfectly kept all of God's commandments. And on a Roman cross, he took the judgment that we deserved. So if you want to build on something solid, on something solid, here's a last blank of our series, last set of blanks. Christ serves as the cornerstone to it all. Christ serves as the cornerstone of it all. How do we know that God understands how life works? Okay, look at creation. God gets it. How do we know that God has our best interests in mind? He can be trusted not only because he's capable, but because he cares. Look at the cross. 
And that's what brings us then to these friends that I brought along with me here today. These, uh, these friends that we had to dust off out of storage. In his closing comments, the author says that the teacher taught many proverbs. And I looked up some of those proverbs. Here's one of them. And this one's attributed to Solomon, who many believe is the author, or the one that the author says is the teacher. The um, proverb attributed to him is this, Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to what? Death. And isn't that what we've been looking at here through Ecclesiastes? There's a way that seems right, but it leads to death. Death is the destiny of us all. This tombstone is the destiny of us all. And there's people, they think this way it leads to life, but it leads to death. As we're getting older, as we're going down these paths that we think will bring us life, it's just, it's not just, we're not just aging with our bodies. This can age our soul as it feels empty. So it feels like we're missing, as we feel like we're not living life as we intended to be lived. And so there's a way that seems right, chasing after these things. It doesn't just end in physical death, which happens to all of us. It ends with the death of who we were created to be. Does that make sense? But there's another way to look at this, isn't there? And that's to see the cross and to embrace what the Bible says, that we can be born again. That there's a death that can come before death. Where we put our full trust and our full faith in our creator. That we put our full trust and our full faith in Jesus. Who came and lived in perfect obedience. Died on our behalf. And offers to come and live and dwell in us. When we start building on that foundation. We don't become more and more dead. On the other side of that cross, what happens? We become more and more alive. We um, had a chance last night, our family, to go see Chris Tomlin in concert at the Target Center. And he told this dream that he had that was really, boy, just powerful. He said he had this dream where, where um, he was late for one of his own concerts. The concert, in fact, had already begun. This big stadium was waiting for him. And he re- realized, oh, I forgot! And so he hops in his car and like so many of us do in those dreams, we're like, I'm not prepared for this thing I'm supposed to be. He's rushing to try to get to this concert that he's singing at, right? And so he's on his way and and as he's going in his car, he can see the stadium and he can see the lights are on and the crowd is there and he's supposed to be on the stage. And then there's a red light. He comes to the red light. How annoying. Right? How annoying. So he comes to the red light. There it is. The stadium is right there. He's almost there. The crowd is there. The lights are there. And he looks out the window. And he sees an abandoned baby. In his dream. And that's a pretty easy choice, right? You keep going after the stadium, the lights, the things that everyone says life is about. Or do you look around and say, maybe I'm off today. It is my hope. It is our prayer that this series could be a red light moment for you. Could you just put everything on hold right now? Everything else on hold. And just pause and ask, what are you today? Today, what are you chasing after? And is that the life that you're going to be happy with at the end of it? Or is there something maybe here at this red light that you're seeing 
that you're missing. So we're going to close with an opportunity for you to pray through song because the guy who wrote this song came and performed it. This next song we're going to do, he came and performed this song for us. And we're going to close with that same one. So I want to invite the worship band to come into place and, and let this song be a prayer. Let it be a prayer that honors our creator and then responds to our creator saying, I will build my life on the things of you. Let me pray for you before you do that. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this red light moment. Ecclesiastes is just way too bold (laughs) to just ignore. It, It just screams at us in a good way. Look at where you're heading. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful for this opportunity to consider the direction we're going and if it's taking us where we want to go. So I pray for all my friends here in this room, the real ones, not these cutouts behind, these real ones. Holy Spirit, descend on us and empower us to be able to pray this beautiful prayer to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.